Alright, hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Um, today, I hope you're having a good day, first of all, foremost. I hope everyone's having a good day. I'm the best day I can. And um, today I'm going to actually have a guest on the podcast, which is the first time I'm having a guest. And surprise, surprise, the guest is my mom. And I, I said earlier that I wanted to, you know, eventually have someone to interview, someone to talk to on these podcasts. I guess my mom is a good first pick. And, you know, everyone has a story and, you know, you should know the story of those. You know, if, if you don't know your family story, maybe you should ask them because I think it's very useful and interesting to get the story from people in your family of what they've done and what they've been through and where they've been. And this is my, my mom's 24th year uh, working for Delta. So I'm going to let her take it and I'm going to let her tell her story. So just introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I am celebrating 24 years at my company today. And I just wanted to go through what brought me here and how I got to 24 years. 24 years uh, sounds like a long time to a lot of people, but I have moved around in my 24 years. So it's not doing the same repetitive thing for the, that length of time. Today is July 8th, 2020, which means I started July 8th, 1996 full time. Before then, I actually was an intern. July 8th, 1996 was actually a special day because I didn't think I had the capability or the legal means to actually accept a job in the United States of America full-time after being an international F1 student, which helps me take me you back to June of 1994, where I actually started my internship as an international student, which is called an F1 visa student, you cannot work without permission because of the immigration rules. You can only work 20 hours a week. You are allowed to work at that time anyway through internships. And actually what they called it was co-ops. So I actually started in June 1994 as an intern. I started as an intern because I was actually going to Georgia State, but I did not start at Georgia State. I actually started in Boston, Wentworth Institute of Technology in 1992, September. One of the things uh, that happened, because sometimes when you start somewhere, you everybody always wondered, okay, so how did you get there? Uh, I got there because the co we had one college, one university in the whole country uh, where I'm from. And I had eight points out of 15 points, which meant that unfortunately I did not get the revered acceptance letter that some of my friends uh, received. Some of my friends received acceptance to the university because they had eight points, but they chose like a sociology or a language degree, I had chosen a business degree. And for a business degree, I needed a little more than eight points. Well, my dad was insistent that I was going to go to college 
somewhere. So after about two years, because that was 1990, so after about two years, uh, we started applying to colleges because you don't know America. You just, you know, pick up an application and apply and send it and hope you get accepted. So I did get accepted at Wentworth Institute of Technology. But by the time I got accepted, I really <coughs> actually did not want to come to America. Uh, my country was doing very well, extremely well. Uh, there was nothing that you know had, gave me any desire to to go. I'm very I'm a very homebound person. Some people don't really believe that because I like to travel, but I'm really a very homey person. Needless can I, to can say, I ask, what were your thoughts of America before you went there? Well, before I came to America, America, of course, had the air of richness uh, that everybody was affluent. Because the media that goes out shows the Prince of Ballet, it shows, uh, well, back then, uh, I'm dating myself, you know, Dallas, the oil fields of Dallas, um, and the, the, just the affluence, the New York City, Fifth Avenue, that's all you heard about, you know, LA, Hollywood, and all you hear about is the affluence of, of America. So America was a very uh, rich place. People weren't poor in America. Um, you heard about it, but of course you didn't hear about it because you don't want to believe it because it's just not true because it's America, right? Um, so, so yeah, so most people really think America is a very affluent, still to this day, uh, affluent place. And uh, a lot of people think America is very cold all the time, which is not true if you've ever lived in American summer. But since, since you landed in Boston, did you believe that for a while? Actually not. I, I landed in Boston in September of 1992, which was fall in Boston. And believe it or not, when I went out of the sliding doors, it was so hot because of the humidity. I literally actually turned around and went back inside the terminal. In Boston? In, in Boston in, in September in fall. Because Boston, remember, is, is surrounded by water. Right? right, so the humidity and the heat of uh, Boston afternoon, it was so shocking because it was so unexpected. I had never felt heat like that because back in my home country, the, the air is dry. You don't have humidity in the air. So coming out of an airport into the great United States and being hit with hot air like from an oven, was actually very shocking. I literally physically went back into the terminal to take a breath because I could not believe the fact that it was that that hot. And the other things about uh, America that people talk about is like there's money, right? Money just is abounds. And so one, that was one of the things that we thought, oh, you just go to America, you get a scholarship, you know. Uh, everything is going to be, you know, nice and dandy. There's a better style of living. And um, things are just better than anywhere else in the in the world. So that was a view and the thought of what America was, was like. And you came because your dad wanted you to get education here? Yes. He wanted me to go to university. Did you really want to come or it was more he just kind of told you to go? I did not want to come. I was happy at home. I 
but he had dreams and aspirations and ambitions for me. And actually, the other day I was looking at my citizenship speech that they gave because they included people that had, you know, he did say, you know, some people, you may have been sent here, you may have had a parent that uh, I wanted you to come. So because my dad, he was a headmaster or a principal, he really valued education. He had to struggle to get his education. So the most important thing to him was for his children to be educated at whatever cost. And because I was a girl, his friends actually laughed, made fun of him because usually girls, you know, they get married and they're not really worth investing any additional education. Um, you know, it's mainly really meant for the boys. But nevertheless, because I really didn't want to come, I packed like two little teeny bags because I was coming back home. And um, I took British Airways from uh, my country to London. And then I landed in Boston. When I landed in Boston, before I landed, the college is actually supposed to have somebody waiting for international students to collect them. Mm -hmm. But before I landed, the British Airways stewardess or flight attendant came to me and gave me a message from the school. It said, please proceed to 600 Huntington Avenue. Hmm, that was interesting. Nevertheless, when we landed, I got out of the airport. I went to, to get my bags. You know, I don't think I actually had checked bags. I had both of carry-ons. I went to the exit for the terminal. And then I went to this place that said information with my little message from the college. And I said, I need to get to this place. It's called Wentworth Institute of Technology. And it's at 600 Huntington Avenue. The lady proceeded to tell me, go outside, take bus number 33 to the T and get off at Ruggles stop. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> when she said that, I turned back and I said, um, I don't think this lady knows that this is literally my first time in the United States. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what she just told me. So I boldly went back to her and I said, um, ma'am, can you help me understand again? Because uh, I'm trying to get to 600 Huntington Avenue. Said, go out the double doors, get bus number thirty-three, take it to the T, and get off a ruggle stop. <laughs> okay, uh, yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. It was like telling somebody from. I don't know. It was like somebody giving instructions to a toddler, because I had no idea what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. So I said. You know what, I'm just going to try one more time because I don't think this lady <laughs> understands what's going on here. She looked at me with the angriest eye. I said, and she told me, I told you, you go out the double doors, take bus number 33 to the T and get off at Ruggles stop. Okay, I said, thank you, ma'am. So at that point, I said, you know, Milka, you are mm -hmm. on your own. 
So what I had to do, I went outside and I looked around and there was a bus there. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I've had a long flight. I do not know what a T is. I do not know what ruggle stop is. I know what a bus is and I know what number 33 means. But everything else after that, I have no idea what she's talking about. So I went outside and I was looking and I saw that there were some taxi cabs. So I went to the taxi cab and I said, uh, sir, I'm trying to get to 600 Huntington Avenue. About how much is that to that? So my dad had given me some foreign money, um, well, some U.S. money, it's not foreign money, some U.S. dollars, because I wanted to be sure that if I did take a cab, I had enough money. And I believe he says, oh, it's about 15 you know, $20. And I said in my young mind, I do not want to get lost in the city. I do not want to get in trouble in the city. I have no idea what T's or ruggle stops are. So I said, oh, can you please take me to, to the 600 Huntington Avenue? He said, sure. So I got in. The journey was uh, uneventful. The only thing I did not like, we went through this long tunnel. And I did not like that long tunnel. And I was just praying and hoping that he was going to get me where he was supposed to get me because I couldn't tell left or right or anything like that. So we actually got to 600 Huntington Avenue and I just showed him the bills that I had and he took whatever he needed to take. And then he gave me, I think he was asking me if I had a quarter. I'm like, uh, I don't know. So I just showed him whatever, and then he took whatever he needed, and he gave me back the change that I needed. So then at 600 Huntington Avenue, there was a little office, actually. I think it was a housing office. So I knocked my way in there, and um, there was, I guess, a student, uh, you know, worker in there. I guess it's the work-study student. And I said, oh, I just came in. I'm a new student. I'm an international student. And... I got this note in British Airways to come to this office. And they're like, oh, okay, um, let me take you to your dorm. And everything was so different because in my culture, when you have a visitor, you welcome them. You, you, you really take them in. So this was all very robotic for me. But I had to go along with it because what other choice did I have? So then he took me to this dorm and it was an empty... When we got there... The RA, which is the resident assistant, wasn't available. So he put me in an empty room that, uh, because there was nobody there. It was, around, it was a, probably about 7 or 8 p.m. at that point. So he put me in this empty room. There were no blankets. There was no food. There was no anything. So literally, my first night in America, I slept on a mattress with nothing. So you can just imagine the shock that I'm in, that I'm coming, I'm expecting this limousine to drive up, to pick me up and take me down. And I'm going to get into this nice waterbed. You know, that's what we always dream. When you come to America, you stay on a waterbed and you have all these servants, you know, coming around you and giving you all this wonderful American food. But no, that was not my first experience for that first night. So I literally slept and it was just like a bare mattress and mm. there was nobody else in the room. I think there were like four beds. It must have been an empty dorm room. There were four beds um, 
in that room and that was my first night i i was hungry but there was no i didn't know about you know where to get any food and the student had just left me there, so. Tell them about the vending machines. Yes, I had no idea even mm-hmm. what that was or where to even go and get them because I think they were in the basement. Of course, I didn't even know this was a new place for me. I had mm-hmm. no idea where I was. So that was my first night in America. And then the next day, the RA, I think, came back, and but then first of all, they had to take me to the office so I could, I could get my papers, my student visa, because I had come so fast that I actually came on a B1 visa, which is a visitor visa, with the intent of becoming an, uh, an international F1 student. Um, of course, my parents had to prove they had $14,000 in the bank to cover my tuition for the full year. Uh, but I went to the office and I remember her name is Heidi. She was very, very nice. Very, very, I wish she had met me at the airport. So she helped me through my paperwork. There was actually a professor there from my country as well. So I went, uh, to see him and, uh, I asked him, I said, oh, I need to go get some, you know, blankets or some sheets. Cause I didn't have anything at, at all. And they do, didn't provide any bedding. So he said, oh, yeah, you can go uh, downtown. And because everybody talks to you like you know what's going on, <laughs> you actually kind of go along with it. Because I wasn't going to repeat that ruggle stop with the, with the airport lady. I'm like, okay, I guess I have to go with the floor because everybody talks to me like I just kind of know the stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did ask him, well, how do you get downtown? Where is downtown? And he said, well, here's the map for the T." And this is kind of how you, um, how you get there. So after I had settled, you know, my classes and my paperwork, I took the T and apparently the T is a train, mm-hmm. but coming from somewhere else, I, you know, you don't know what the T is. And actually I am so glad that I did not take bus number 33 to the T to Stop because Stop was going to put me on the opposite side of the school and I would have gotten horribly, terribly lost and I don't think it was a good part of town either. Mm-hmm. At that point anyway, I have no idea still today where Ruggle Stop is. And then I went downtown Filene's basement for those who are from Boston, they may know Filene's basement. It's kind of like a Marshalls or Ross, but very, you know, brand name. Uh, for less. And then the first thing I needed was blankets because I was cold and sheets. So one thing I didn't realize is that here they use fitted sheets and then a flat sheet. I looked all over the place for two flat sheets because I didn't understand that a fitted sheet is actually um, part of a sheet set. So I got, and I still have my you know sheets that I bought that day and I bought a little blanket uh, to go with that. So that was kind of my first purchase uh, in the United States. Uh, when I got back to the dorm, they gave me a food card for the dining hall so that I could eat food. Uh, the food was very different, of course. And I feel like looking back, I wasted the food plan because I could have eaten a whole lot more than I did. But I had no idea what the food was. And um, I had no idea what my options were. And so one, that's one thing. So what did you get the first time? The first time, I wanted eggs, but the eggs 
looked very runny. They weren't done. Yeah. Because I'm used to having eggs that were done. And when I tried to eat them, they were like, I was like, ew. And of course, I, I didn't know that you could tell the chef to make your eggs custom to what mm-hmm. you wanted. Mm-hmm. So I had gotten some eggs and what looked like sausage, but it tasted not like sausage from home. And of course, I tried coffee because I thought it was like the coffee from home. And it was so bitter and dark. So it was just not um, a very you know, pleasant meal. Uh, my first breakfast, because I love breakfast, but nothing really looked like... Uh, you know, cooked or, the, you know, like to order what I was used to. So that was kind of my first meal that next morning. And of course, I was really hungry and I couldn't eat anything. So that that, that actually did, didn't help too much. So once I got my sheet, I got the, the RA took me to my dorm room with my uh, roommate. And um, I, I had my sheets at least and a little blanket because at least that's where I, you know, I, I just needed something to sleep in. And I really feel that was really, my first experience of America was nothing. Nothing like mm-hmm. I thought it would be or what America was. Mm-hmm. Here was, I mean, I had left my home with comfortable beds, clothes, you know, bed, um, blankets, nice pillows. Because you know what, when you're tired, you want to sleep and you want to sleep in a comfortable place. And I guess that's what I'm talking about. I don't know why I had to do that. But um, but yeah, so that was interesting. So that was kind of my first mm-hmm. night and day in uh, the United States at the college. Who was your first friend in America? My first friend in America... That's a hard question. You mean in Boston or just in America as a whole? In America. I want to say my first friend, friend, friend in America would have to be... That's a hard question. The first, first friend that I felt like was a friend was Becky. Mm -hmm. Even though that was like... um, How many years had you been Four. That was like... Four years later, but before then, I did have some friends when my mentor, okay, my mentor, she was more of a mentor, so I don't know, but she was a very good mentor, Susan, at work. She she really helped me go through the paces. I'm trying to think as well, because I did work at a few other places before I started, and one of the things that is, is hard for me to think about that question because I'm a very quiet person and it's not, it takes me a while to, to really get comfortable, right? But I did have people I went out with in Boston. Like my roommate had her friend and, you know, they used to talk. But of course I was a strange person, so it wasn't really like, you know, they were talking with me at the, at the same level. Um, the, the professor, of course, but he's really the professor, uh, is, uh, he was also from the same home country. And then he helped me kind of get in contact with other people as well. But the reason I don't remember a lot about the Boston, because it was three months and it was my first three months and it was 
It was difficult. So it literally was, I'm coming to a place where I don't know anybody, right? So then what happened, uh, you could call the missionaries that I came to live with in Atlanta, my friends, but this is still not my same um, age group either. So, to say a friend, friend, the one I can say I remember as a, as a, as a friend is Becky, because we used to just go out in her granddam and she used to take me. She taught me a lot. She's a person who taught me a lot about America, you know, mm. you know, how, what, you know, what, what foods are and what you eat and what people's, you know, behavior. So that's really why I say, you know, probably Becky was my first friend the United States. I hope somebody doesn't hear this and say, well, I was your friend too. <laughs> Just don't remember. So what, what do you think something about immigration that a lot of people don't know? Uh, a lot of people think that you can just get on an airplane and come to America. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. Not even close. You cannot get on an airplane, a boat, or anything and just come into the United States of America. It is a hard, long, arduous, multiple rejection, expensive process. Mm-hmm. You just don't say, because you have to go to the embassy you have to prove that you are able to financially support yourself. Even if you're coming here to visit, usually you have to have somebody in the United States that is inviting you and can sponsor your stay or your tourist or what, a hotel or wherever you're going. It is a very, very difficult process to just be able to come into the United States. And to stay in the United States legally is even more difficult and you have to dot every I and cross every T and you cannot get into any trouble. You cannot uh, miss your taxes. My friends used to laugh at me because when you are a non-citizen or non-resident, you actually have to fill out the long form for your taxes. So I used to just fill that out. And they'd be like, oh, Milka, just fill out the regular one. It doesn't really matter. But I wanted to make sure that nobody behind me was going to have any trouble. So I would sit there and fill out this 10-page tax form when I could have filled out a two-page tax form. What do you mean when you say anyone behind you? Well, like my family, right? Or anybody that was going to come visit me or um, what want to be able... Because you have to be a citizen. They call it a citizen of good standing. That said, there's a whole other side of the coin where there are people that, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, follow that. But to actually get in illegally into this country is, um, on the whole, a very difficult thing. And I don't think people realize that. People think you can just come in in droves. That's the farthest thing from the truth. I I know even there's a missionary that used to come to... To, to the church, right? And he, for years and years, I think for over 10 years, he always wanted to bring his wife, but they always rejected her visa. And to the day she died, she never was able to come to the United States. And people don't realize that. And um, sometimes what happens, unfortunately, because the, the, the embassy restricts, you know, like families or, you know, visiting, you have to prove that you can go back and forth. But sometimes... If you just get somebody on a bad day, you know, 
I used to stand at the embassy window and you'll see people walk up and get whether they're rejected or not rejected. And it's a lack of the draw, right? And of course, they're looking at different paperwork. Sometimes you don't even know what they're looking at. And because it is their country, they don't have to give you a reason necessarily that you feel is, um, is viable uh, for that. So I believe that each application is $400 every time you apply for a visa, and, and that may be, you know, the, 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 the amounts could have changed up, but every time you apply for a visa, it's about $400. And people go multiple times. I remember when you guys were young, I was trying to get somebody here to help me, uh, but we tried maybe four or five times, $400 every time, and rejected every time, you, you don't get your money back. And then I tried with my aunt, 400 every time, you get multiple rejection, you don't get your money back. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you get it, and it's a wonderful thing when you do get in, and sometimes, but most of the time you don't. Yeah, I know another friend who's been trying to get his mom to visit him from China, and I don't think, he even bought a nice house when she got here, he, you know, she could stay in a nice place. He never could be able to, to get a visa. Mm-hmm. And your grandparents... When they were, I think they were in the 80s, we tried to get them here. Because we're thinking, but they got rejected. We're like, why would you reject 80-year-olds? It's not that they're going to come here and, you know, stay in America and, you know, start um, that. Because they had their own property back home. And that was one thing I really wanted them to come and visit because... They had, they, all their sons, and most of the sons and daughters had been overseas, but they had never been overseas. Mm-hmm. So I really, really wanted them to come and visit. And one of the things that I heard that happened was that back in the home country, you don't call a woman by her name once she's married. She's mother or so-and-so or... Um, like my nini. Yeah, my or my somebody, right? So, so I think one of the, the questions for the people at home. Oh, what you're saying is that in Zimbabwe, people people are or women are or is it men too? No, just women. It's mainly women because yeah, mainly mainly women are referred to by. Uh, is this a daughter? A or, title or just son? It's a title. By their sons, the daughter's last name or first name. First name, yes. So they'll be called. Uh, my. Amai is, you can explain it, right? My, my is Amai is mom, mother. mother. So mother of Michael. Mother. So everybody would call me my Michael. Since I'm her firstborn, I, she would be my Michael. So she's not Mrs. Penungwe. She's my Michael because I'm her firstborn. Yes, but then if I'm before I'm married, I'm my Penungwe. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so what happened? The interviewer at the embassy asked her what my name was. And she couldn't remember that my name was Milka because she calls me my Punungwe or my, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's not, it's not common for you to be calling people by their first name. You always call them by their title or by their standing, right, mm-hmm. in society. And that was one of the questions they, I believe they say they asked her and she didn't have that answer for that. So we, to this day, we don't know if that was why they were rejected, but all we know is that, that was re, they were rejected. And we had look for their passports and their birth certificates and their IDs just to get to the interview. You have to get all that paperwork and it's not easy to get that paperwork, especially for 
uh, for older, you know, generational uh, people because not everything is handy at at a bureau. You have to really uh, do some legwork for that. So, uh, so no, it is not easy to come to the United States of America. And no, people cannot just come here in droves. So how long was it between when you touched down and when you actually became a citizen? Oh my goodness. I came in 1992. I became a citizen in 2007. How long is that? That is 15 years, I think. Yeah, I'm just probably. So longer. between when you landed down to when you actually became a citizen, it took 15 years. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. And we can talk about, you know, all the steps to that and what that entails. Mm-hmm. Because that's a, a whole. A whole segment process in itself. Okay. Okay, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking. Uh, maybe we'll go more in depth on, you know, other stuff involving immigration at another date. But for now, thank you for being on the podcast. Do you want to say something to the viewers, anything? Well, thank you for having me, listeners, and thank you for listening. All right, I hope you all have a good day, and that's a wrap.